Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Episode 82 continues Oscar's conversation with Bob Bradley, creating the Center for Academic and Tutorial Services for Kentucky student-athletes in 1981. Bob Bradley fully immersed himself into the success of student-athletes and preparing them for life after college. And for some, Mr. Bradley continued his service to former players, as you will find out. Bob Bradley's career at Kentucky included seven head football coaches and six head basketball coaches, and he defines his relationship with every one of them, including the ones he worked with on a limited basis. Frank Kersey helped make Mr. Bradley's job a tad easier by hiring one tough assistant, and who was the head coach that donated his time to reading to kids in classrooms? The student athletes Mr. Bradley influenced is numerous, and this episode, just a small sampling. Who was the med student who became a priest? Who was the former Wildcat and NFL player that made some home improvements to the Bradley home? And who had the opportunity to become a Rhodes Scholar? To some, it's about wins and losses. To Bob Bradley, it's about the student athletes. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House, and his guest, Bob Bradley. Let's talk about some of the fun people you've dealt with here at Kentucky over the years and cohorts and people you've had to work with. And I'm sure there's been times where one would have one of you know, but let's just talk about the major coaches you've dealt with. And let's start out talking with, uh, with football. And you came here under Fran Kersey. Fran's a great guy. Um, you know, I always tell people, and this is just in jest, but I used to say that, and you'll agree with this, I'll bet. If Fran Kersey had been a basketball coach, he'd make Rick Pitino look like a piker. Because he was just unbelievable, aura he had, how he had people around him that just loved him. I, I always, I always thought that if and he had been at a school with a great football tradition, he would have coached thirty-five years. Yeah, and what I and and the thing is that when I say that, I'm saying that because I think Coach Patino is fantastic. I mean, I thought Coach Patino was really good. So to think that that you know that uh, Fran Kersey would be better than that. That's an incredible compliment because Frank Kersey just, he had an aura about him. You remember, he's the first one that started the women's football coaching clinic. I mean, they were like in droves. They were trying to get into it. You know, he was just a, he was a really good guy. He was, I liked him a lot. He was not as academic as Claiborne probably. But, you know, and I remember having a conversation with him one day on the field and I had my head down. I walked out in the field. And he said, what do you got your head down for? And it was after a loss. And I said, uh, coach I said I don't really I said I you know and then I just thought to myself I said, you know coach I can't graduate these kids we got to start getting the we got to make sure they go to class make sure they go to tutors and make sure they go to study hall and he called me up about it two weeks later and he said I've solved your problem I said well he said John Marilovich is coming back he'll be in charge of academics well I'd heard of the guy because he was here in 76 and he'd left and gone with Bo Ryan to North Carolina State who's a guy that later flew out over the Atlantic, you know, in recruiting. And, and I think he had just gotten a job at LSU. Well, that was later. Yeah, but, John, but that's when he was killed. He that's never when got he, That's when he, yes, he was. John was waiting for him at the airport yes. at Baton Rouge. He was coming from Memphis. Yes. Ended up going on. But this is prior to that. But so, so, you know, he says, John's coming back. I said, okay. So I get a call a couple days later or whatever, and my phone rings. I picked it up and said, Bob Bradley, may I help you? Bradley. Milovich. Get me a list of everybody that's messing up. And I said, well, okay, coach. Today, click, hangs up. I go, 
all right, so I get my GAs. And back then, you didn't have computers or anything. We had to run around campus. We're all over campus getting syllabus for all the courses. Put together a box. I put 35 kids in the box and had a folder for each one of them. And I, or the list, on the list first. And I sent him over the list of 35. He sends the list back, and he's added seven guys that were good kids. But they were here when he was here before. Oh, and he liked okay. them. Like Rick Strine was a great student. Rick was a kicker. Mm-hmm. But Rick made the All-American strength team. Rovich loved him, a kicker that makes the All-America strength team. So anyway, so he sends me the list, and, I, and he calls up. Same thing. I, May I help you? Brad, Merlevich, get me everything they got to do for the rest of the semester. And I said, okay, coach, um, all right, you want everything? Today, click. So we're running all over. We get these folders. I take the box over, and I said, oh, coach, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm starting a 6 a.m. study hall starting Monday. Every day of the week. And I said, oh, okay, all right, yeah. Well, here's the box. Here's these, uh, everything they got in that. So I showed up Monday morning at 5.30, walked in, and I walked up to his office, and he's got, and he, like I told you before we went on the air, he'd have his pencil, and he'd be doing X's and O's, and he'd be spitting in a cup, and, you know, his chewing tobacco, and he'd and have his coffee there, too, and he'd, like, go, and then if you walked in and said anything, the pencil would just stop. And he'd stare up at you. And I walked up and said, hi, coach. You know, all happy. And, hi, coach. He goes, stops, goes, what the hell are you doing here? And I said, oh, did Coach Kersey tell you not to have the study hall? And he says, no, this is my study hall. Your study hall somewhere over there. And he waves <laughs> his hand toward campus. You go over and run your little study hall, and I'll run my study hall. And I said, well, coach, you know, I'm in charge of academics. He goes, whatever. I said, well, I'm in charge of academics. And I ought to probably be here. And he goes, ah, no. I said, yeah, coach, I think I ought to be here. I think I'm going to be here. And he goes, oh, yeah? And I won't use the expletives. He usually says, suit yourself. And I said, okay. So I showed up every morning. And every morning, he never talked to me. For three weeks, I came in every morning. I would get the box. And I would put him, that's what I said to him. Is I said, coach, you're not going to know what's in this box. If they ask questions about something you're not going to know, I know what to do. And so he said, suit yourself. So anyway, I came every day. We would go in the back, and they used to have, if you remember the old stadium offices, they had the offensive and defensive film room. And there were two steps down in the back, all the way in the back there. And he went into one or the other. Well, that's where we had him in study hall. We would sit on those steps. And he would sit there with his coffee and his, his coffee and his spit cup. And he'd, spit, and he'd never talk to me. He never said a word for three weeks. He's right next to me. <laughs> never said a word. And then finally, I come in after three weeks. And I walk in. I walk past his office. He goes, hey, where are you going? And I'm thinking, you know what? I've been here three weeks. I'm not, where am I going? I thought, you know, he's going he's gonna to give me a bunch of crap now. And I turned around and I said, coach, let's go back and get a cup of coffee before study hall. He goes, get me a cup. <laughs> I said, ooh. I started walking around. I said, this is a breakthrough. And I went, oh, wait a minute. And I made the mistake. I turned back. I said, coach? And he's already doing his exercise. And he looks up and goes, what? How do you like your coffee? <laughs> Black. <laughs> so I get his coffee. I come back. And he says, sit down. I want to talk to you. Now, this is just Marulovich. And I swear to God, he was the toughest coach I've ever seen in my life. He says, sit down. And so I'm sitting in front of his desk in a chair. And he says, sit down. I want to talk to you. I got to ask you something. So I sat down. 20 minutes goes by, and I said, Coach, I said, uh, did you want to ask me something? And he stops. The pencil stops, spits in his cup, looks up and goes, what's wrong with you? Can't you have a good conversation without talking? <laughs> That's John Marobi. Oh, my God. He was unbelievable. He was- uh, what was it like at the end of the last two years of the Kersey era? Uh as you remember it. You know, those guys, the whole time I was there, and I was really close to the assistants. I mean, Charlie Bailey, George Katavlis, Danny Coglin, all those guys were great guys. And, in fact, they even checked classes for me one time. They felt bad for me because I only had two GAs in it, and they said, we're going to check classes for you. So Katavlis goes over to check a, a KHP, a phys ed class, and he, and he comes running back, and he's like, pale. And I said, what's the matter, George? He goes, that's the guy that almost flunked me at Purdue. I stuck my head in and he went, you? And he said, I turned around and ran back. And then Tom Turchetta, Tom Turchetta went over and looked at a communications class. And when he stuck his head in, the professor went, oh, the Gestapo's here. And he came back and he said, what's that guy's name? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go beat that guy up. And I said, 
Tom, you can't beat a professor up, Tom. And is it? I said, you guys are done checking classes. You guys are never checking again. But you know what it was? They were like, those coaches were always like, it's like the Old West. I told people, like gunslingers. They'd come in, and I, was, that, I didn't have a cat center back then, so I was over the football offices all the time, football or basketball. And I'd go over there, and they would, they would walk after a loss and go, we're done. You're going to fire. They were done. I'm packing. I told my wife, pack everything. I got a bunch of boxes and, and told her, just pack them all. We're, we're all they're going to kick us all out right now. It'd be like the third game of the season. They were going to be kicked out. And they, but they were like, I told people, they're like, they're like gunslingers. That, that was my first impression, being around those guys. I mean, they were always worried they were losing their jobs. And, of course, back then, I remember when Greg Nord, when Coach Claiborne made Greg Nord a full-time coach from a GA, and Greg came off to say, Bob, how much do you make? And I said, 17000 He said, dang, see, that's the problem. I got to get out of this coaching and get an administration. I'm making thirteen five. <laughs> that was full time. <laughs> we we move on from him to Jerry, and as you said earlier, the, the most incredible person, not just coach, most incredible person. You know, he had one. He had his team rule. He didn't have a book of rules. He had here. This was, and I made bracelets for our guys. We had a reunion, and I made bracelets for him. Those those rubber bracelets, and I, and it was. Uh, he had do right, do your best win that was it that was his team rules do right do your best so whenever a kid got in trouble that's what he'd ask me. i sat in his office one day look at kid and said did you do right and if you said no he'd say here's your penalty here's what's going to happen and he was tough if you said yes to both you were you were gone if you said yeah i did right and yeah i did my best you were gone you know and i mean he was you know he was the one guy that I had that, I mean, you know, we had a kid, a big offensive tackle, Doug Williams. Remember that? And Claiborne let him go. From Cincinnati Moeller. Yep. And, and Claiborne let him go. Fran had signed. And Fran had signed, and they, that was going to save Fran's job, he thought at the time. In fact, they announced his commitment on CBS TV during a basketball game at Rupp. And he came in, and, of course, he ended up going, I believe, to Texas A&M, didn't yeah, he? from here. Mike Summers was at Texas A&M. He'd been a GA here mm-hmm. and was at Texas A&M, called me up and said, is Doug Williams leaving? I said, yeah. I think he made All-American there. I said, Coach Claiborne, well, he played in the NFL for about two or three yeah. years. But, you know, Coach Claiborne wouldn't play him. No. And Fran played him every game. Yeah. Coach Claiborne was playing, playing well, Ron th- Bajelid in front of him. I think Doug Williams thought that Fran had to play. Whether, I mean, uh, Jerry had to play him where he wanted to or not. And you didn't get to play with Jerry that way. And he wasn't doing anything right. Right. He was hard to deal with, and he was a good. You know what? I'm sure he's grown up, and everything's different. And so I, that's why I hate to mention names, but it, because these kids grow up. I mean, things happen in their life, and they're, you know, it's like people say to me about the one and dones. Boy, I'll bet they're terrible to do. I bet they're so hard to do with academics. I bet, and I say, you know what? A one and done isn't any different than a four and done. If he's a good kid, he's and he comes kid. in as a good kid, he's, he's a not, good he's kid. Not. And if he's had issues in high school or had issues with his family. And those things, then he's a hard kid to deal with. So Claiborne retires. Actually, it's the same year that Eddie Sutton leaves. And in comes Bill Curry. What about Bill Curry? Curry Incredibly philosophically and honor-driven. I mean, just a he's a good person. Bill Curry's one of the really, really good people that I think is out there. And uh, I never had an issue with Bill, you know. I mean, there were sometimes assistants would try to talk to him, you know, and try to convince him to do something else. And that was hard because they're the last ones to get to him. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, but as, as far as, as Bill dealing with the kids, we had a lot of situations where he would just say, this is the way it is. And he'd tell a kid he's not playing. And I'm sure people wonder why is so-and-so not in the game? That's why they wouldn't be in the game. Then we go to Hal Mummy in 19. Brought in my best students ever. And when I, said, when I tell people that, they go, you're kidding. But I think what happened is C.M. Newton hired Hal Mummy from Valdosta. Hal Mummy hit the lottery, getting the job here. And I know C.M. said, I want you to bring in good kids. And, I mean, we had a ton of kids with 1,200 SATs. And, I mean, he had all kinds of really – he brought in the best – Jerry Claiborne brought in blue-collar kids and made them better. And Hal brought in – really, you know how Hal was – I mean, it was so funny. I mean, if, if you, you know, if, if you don't want to play, if you don't want to, 
he doesn't care because he's got somebody else. He just thought his system won, not not you. So, but I thought he was really good. And then when he left, uh, Guy Morse, great guy, couple years. Guy Morse, great guy, uh, equipment manager. I said to the equipment manager, "What about?" I forget how I asked Tom Kalinowski something. He said, "Oh, he said, well, if they screw up, he calls me up and I put their equipment under his desk." <laughs> so if I'd call and say this kid screwed up, the guy would just say, "Put his." Put his equipment under my desk, and when he shows, so he had to go to the coach. So he, uh, get when his he shows up before practice. He yeah. come up to my office and talk to me about it. But I think guy being an offensive lineman, you know, those guys are typically pretty straight. Rich Brooks, you know, I didn't have as much association with Rich because that's when I moved in, and we had we had football counselors and everything. And we moved away from it, where I wasn't doing it as much. When Mitch came in, I moved away from doing the football and basketball, and uh, and pretty much the same way with Joker and Stoops yeah, except I knew Joker. I always felt I felt terrible. Joker goes back to '84 playing. Yeah, Joker's one of my great kids, one of my favorites. He's a great guy, and Joker. I wish it worked out better for him. You know. Let's switch over the basketball. Joe B. Hall, best ever. I mean, uh, Joe B. Understands the tradition of Kentucky more than anybody, and you know this. He, I mean, he had those kids dressing up. He had them taking etiquette classes. He had him with a linguist. He would do when they came in. You remember the guy would meet with each one of them about, Cooper, inter- yeah, about interviewing, mm-hmm. and he would work with them on interviewing skills and that. I mean, he understood how important it was for the community for you to be a good citizen. And I always was against athletic dorms, but I'll tell you what, when looking at, at Joby Hall with what those kids came out with and what they were like, it, it changed me. Eddie Sutton. Uh, you know, I just didn't have that much time with Eddie as it was. But, uh, you know, he was – I didn't have that much time with Eddie. I can't I want to say anything about it because I don't really have anything of note. Rick Patino, Great. And Rick Patino was – I mean, Rick was hard to get to. He was a CEO type. I mean, you know, how he, you know that. He ran it like a CEO, and, I mean, he was hard to get to Rick and – and get information to him, but he at the same time was, uh, if I got something to him, he handled it. He took care of it. I mean, and he was a, Rick was really a good guy. He was very protected. I remember one time driving home and listening to Big Blue Line, and they said, Rick, you've been here a couple of years, and, you know, what do you do for fun? Who are the guys you hang out with when you're not? And you may remember this. He said, who are the guys you hang out with when you're, you know, not coaching, when you got some time, and who do you have a beer with, you know? And Rick said, uh, I don't know what you mean. I, I don't really have those kind of friends I don't do that I don't have that and I thought that's tough you know what I mean that is that's 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 tough but I think he was very protected with himself Tubby Smith great guy everybody knows that Tubby's just the salt of the earth I mean Tubby Smith I mean I went to him with a kid and I'm not going to mention names but I went to a kid one of his stars and I said Tubby he's not doing what he's supposed to he's not going to class he's not and Tubby said you know what do you want me to do? I mean, you know, and I said, well, uh, sit him. Sit him. I got one of our biggest games coming up. He said, you want me to sit him? I got one of my biggest. I said, coach, I'm not telling you to do anything because you make those decisions. You're the coach. I don't make them. But see, he was, he was very morally driven. I mean, I think Tubby wanted to do right things. And he treated people right. He treated people well. You know, and he had time for people. And um, As hard as it was to get him, into Rick, it was that easy to get into well, Tubby. Tubby talk, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and I said to Tubby, I said, you got to make that decision, and I, I'll be dang. He, he sat the kid. You know, he, he sat him. And I think, I'm trying to remember, I think he sat him the whole game because I think everybody thought, oh, God, get through the first half. He's doing something. He's sitting him. He's going to discipline him or something. <laughs> and then he sat him the second half, too, and we won. We won the game. So, and that kid... Ended up graduating in four years, played in the NBA for years, and is a great, great kid. Well, and I think what happened that's, that's when Tubby did that, that we never had another issue. I had somebody come up to me. He had a class where he had to go out in the community. Go out to He went out to Martin Luther King School, the alternative school. Mm-hmm. And they said he would come in, and a lot of those kids can't read. And he would come in, and he would get two books, the same book. And walk over, and they said they didn't even have to say a word to him. And the kid was a real quiet kid anyway. He'd come in, get the two books, hand the kid one, sit down, read with him. Tell me who he was. I mean, that, I mean that's a phenomenal story. He was just a 
But I mean, t- that kid, that kid was like that because Tubby made him like that. I think he 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 helped that kid a lot. Billy Clyde Gillespie. Well, you know that that's just a short, quick, and I can't say much about it really. That's, he is what know. it is. Yeah, yeah. John Calipari. Well, I don't have as much. Con- I don't have any contact really with Coach Calipari. You know, the counselor does. But I don't have to. The time I when our when we started using counselors for sports, the times I got in was when it's bad. And it hasn't been bad when things are going bad. You know, when the counselor comes over and says, hey, this is not good. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and with Cal Perry, I didn't have, I mean, I haven't had to. I never had to. I feel bad that I didn't know John Cal Perry better. I feel horrible about it because he, we didn't have an issue. And I never ended up over there. I went over early on when he first came a couple of times, but our counselor does a great job and they, he supports them and they, it goes well. So it's crazy, but, you know, you don't get to know people when things are going like that. Dr. Frank Downing. Good guy. I didn't know him, really, because he left before, and I went up to Penn State and met mm-hmm. with him. I just met him up there and, and really didn't, didn't really know him that well. But he went up to Penn State for a while, and then he left. Russell Rice. I love Russell. Russell's a good guy. Russell Rice is the one that looked at me, and I told you, he looked at me and when he was doing my bio and said, from New York, and... You know, and all that. And then I said, he said, where are you from? And I said, New York. And he went, oh, another daggone Yankee. And I was like, that's sort of a doctor. I never even thought about that. I thought, gosh, that's something. <laughs> Call me of... that. I'd never been called a Yankee. <laughs> and nobody ever called me a Yankee before. He's an old Marine. Uh, uh, he's a great guy. In, uh, in World War II. Uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. There's nothing he wouldn't do for you on a great day. And if he's on a bad day, he might walk right past you and never say really? a word. Yeah, but he was a super always, guy. He was super always guy. nice to me. He was always good to me. Uh, some other coaches, uh, Keith Madison. Oh, yeah, everybody knows Keith's a great guy. I remember one time I had an issue with one of the kids, and and uh, his assistant was going off about it and everything. And and uh, I told the assistant finally, I said, you know what, we'll go up and sit down with uh, C.M. Newton, and we'll just, we'll figure out who's on on the front of this issue, and then. Keith came back, and I said to Keith, I walked in and said, Keith, I need to tell you something about this kid that hasn't been taking care of business. He may not be eligible. He's not taking care of it. Keith said, you know what, Bob? That's his issue. And he backed us 100%. Kid ended up okay. But he ended up backing us 100% when, when it looked like it wasn't going to be. And that is where you see the integrity. When it looks like it's not going to be okay, how they act. Kathy DeBoer. I think she's brilliant. Uh, she's a gifted person. Um, you know, she's now head of the National Volleyball Association. But Kathy, I'll never forget, we went, I used to go to the NCAA convention with CM and Dr. Weathington and all those folks. And um, a volleyball issue came up. And by God, nobody was speaking to it. You know, because they had the microphones up in front of the NCAA convention. And they would go, you know, the president up at the dais would say, Proposal 46. And then somebody has to go and say, yes, uh, I move that proposal 46. And then they go, okay, a second. Then they go discussion. And you had to have that. Well, nobody was going toward it. And boy, she got up and she went back there. And I mean, she went after those volleyball people back there. And she got that thing through. I mean, she was, Kathy was good. Kathy was really good at what she did. And, you know, she, uh, she did a good job, and and as the senior associate, she did a good job fundraising. I mean, she worked. You know, we we ended up getting the money for Ohio Casualty for the the million dollars. That was one of the biggest gifts they'd had. They had a million dollar from uh, Lauren Patch, who was the CEO of Ohio Casualty, their foundation, and Kathy was instrumental in that. Harry Mullins, the rifle coach. Oh, I love Harry. Harry's Harry, baby. <laughs> I mean, Harry's Harry every day of the week. What kind, of, what, kind just, of, what kind of students were his athletes in oh, rifle? Oh, I did rifle. I was the advisor to rifle for a little while. They're they're unbelievable. I mean, they're they're he he rarely gets, and if he does get it, he's after. But he doesn't. He rarely gets a kid that doesn't take care of business. You know what I mean? But when he does, Harry's all over it. Harry's great. Craig Skinner, good guy. Great guy. You know what? He's I don't know how he's so kind and so easy to talk to when he's going through a season. You know, that's tough. But he is just the nicest guy. Every time you walk in a 
past his office and you stop and talk to him. He's just a, you know, he's just a good guy. And um, he's he's really good with his kids. I think he really, he understands that the academics are important. He understands when he has to bend, but he demands from them. He's just good at that. Lee Little. Well, I love Leah. She's one of the coaches when I went there. You know, she's one of them when they brought in gymnastics. When I went into athletics, we didn't have women's athletics in 77. We brought it in that year, that next year. They were AIAW, as you remember, Association of Intercollegiate Athletics for Women. And we made them NCAA, and and Leah was our, our gymnastics coach. And she – Leah's fun. I mean, I like Leah. She's, a, she's just a fun person, and – you know, she would make me laugh when I'd tell her about something a student wasn't doing. She couldn't say, well, you know what? That won't happen again. I'll tell you that right now. Don Weber. Don Weber was, I think Don Weber saw the earth. He was track coach for 20 some years and, uh, you know, would really go out on a limb for his kids. He would, I mean, he would, he would kick kids out of practice. They weren't taking care of academics. He'd kick them out and tell them, go to cats. They couldn't come to practice. They had to go to cats, which was pretty good. Dennis Emery. I like Dennis. Dennis is a good guy. You know, he was there forever. And Dennis was a – he was a solid tennis coach. And I, my favorite story on Dennis is one day I'm sitting in my office and I get a phone call, you know, on my, on my uh, voicemail. And so I click on it and I hear, okay, good, good forehand. Good backhand. <laughs> Nice forehand. So I, I left it on my voicemail and called Dennis over. I said, I got an important meeting with you, Dennis. I said, I called him in and I said, Dennis, I'm thinking about being a tennis coach. He said, you're what? So I'm thinking about being a tennis coach. I think I could do it. I said, listen. And I put on his voicemail. He had, he had butt dialed me by accident. And it was playing. He was at practice and he was just going, nice forehand, nice backhand. So I played it for him and I said, Coach, I can do that. I know I could do that. I could stand there and say nice backhand and nice. He goes, oh, yeah, it's that easy, let me tell you. <laughs> this month, uh, Kentucky is honoring the 1993 Peach Bowl team. you got to give me a good Marty Moore story. Uh, Marty, I love Marty Moore. And, uh, and uh, you know, I actually called Marty after the Peach Bowl, where he fumbled the Peach Bowl, and I called him right then afterward and from the hotel. Tell us what happened in that game. And, uh, well, he – he fumbled with like I forget what intercepted a pass. Intercepted pass instead of going down with it, tried to run with it and fumbled, and they got the ball back. They threw a pass and they scored, and they beat us. And he took it so hard, and he was crying on the phone and everything. But you know, Marty would and I would talk a lot, and he'd come by my house a couple times. And I said, Marty, I said, he was talking to my wife. My wife said, you know, Marty, he said I need a. He was Marty majored in vocational education. He wanted to be a builder. He wanted to be a contractor, which I'm surprised he's not. He's in medical sales. And I'm surprised he's not a contractor because he could do anything. He can build a house from bottom up. And I said, uh, I said, Marty, I said, uh, or my wife said, Marty, I'd like, you know, I don't have a, a spigot out by the garage to wash the cars and that. And she said, do you know anybody or do you know how they do it? He said, I can do that. It's not a problem. I'll do it for you. So he'd been drafted by the Patriots the week, like four or five days before that. And he knew he had to leave like in two days. And he called him and said, I got to come over and do that. I said, Marty, it's okay. He said, no, I told you I'd do it. I'm coming over to do it. So he came over and he was doing it. And he's putting the spigot in my garage. My neighbor walks over. And my neighbor walks in the garage and said, hey, how you doing? Bob got you doing some work. He said, yeah. He said, I'm, Mrs. Bradley's wants a spigot out here. And, and I'm running the pipe for him, the copper pipe, and putting the spigot outside and everything so she can wash the cars. And he said, really? Oh, that's good. He says, uh. Hey, I got a couple things over to my house. You'd be interested in coming over there and looking at them. And, they, and Marty says, "No." He says, "I can't really. I would, but he says I'm, you know, I'm leaving in like two days to go to my job and, and leaving and going up to Boston." He said, "You're going up to Boston. What are you going up there for?" He says, "Well, I got a job up there." And he says, "Well, who are you going to be working for in Boston?" He says, "Well, I'm going to be working for the Patriots." Marty's so humble, <laughs> and this guy, Marty, I just didn't want to tell him. I guess he's for the Patriots. And he says. What are you going to be doing for the Boston Patriots? He said, well, I'm hoping I'll be playing linebacker for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's so humble. He's a great kid. He was humble. Let's talk about some other players that you've interacted with over the years and uh, that sort of left a special feeling with you and, and the other way. And 
Let's go to Mark Keene. Yeah, Mark Keene's a priest in northern Kentucky. And Mark and I were pretty close. And Mark would, it was funny, you know, I heard Mark would come to my house all the time. He's trying to make a decision. Mark had the second highest scores that the medical school had received in the MCAT. So he could have had his choice in medical schools. So I'm kind of wanting him to go to medical school. And he's deciding between the priesthood and medical school. So, you know, we're making a list like we're getting a legal pad and putting a line down at pros and cons. And we're writing out things. I mean, and then he'd come over and go to my girlfriend and my house before I was married, my girlfriend's house for, for soup and have soup with us and stuff. I mean, he's just a great guy. And, and, and Mark was trying to decide between this and I was trying to be, I was trying to be, you know, so unbiased. I was trying to say, okay, now let's look at both. But I really wanted to go to medical school. And I would say like, well, you know, you could go to medical school and then become a priest. I mean, there wouldn't be a problem with that. And he'd go, oh, I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, he ended up being a priest. But the, the funny part was years later when Keith Martin, who played for us, got married, Father Bradley, who sat on Patino's bench, did the ceremony. Keith's really close to Father Bradley in Owensboro. Mm -hmm. So Father Bradley did the ceremony. And at the reception, I walked up and I said, Father Bradley, you know, I have a... Um, he said, I have a young man that I was really close to at Kentucky that's a priest up in Northern Kentucky. He said, oh, really? I said, yeah, he played football at Kentucky. He's a priest in Northern Kentucky. And he went, oh, and I thought, well, he doesn't know him. You know? And, and I said, yeah, Mark Keene. And he goes, Mark Keene? I remember the day Father Heeman got him. He ran in the seminary and threw his fist up in the air and said, I got him. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, they're recruiting. <laughs> and I was trying to decide. I was trying to sit back and be very calm. I should have been going, medical school. <laughs> Derek Ramsey. Oh, leader. Total leader. You know, actually went off to pros, had a few courses to finish, came back and finished them in our post-eligibility program and, and got his degree. And, and uh, of course, everybody knows Derek's successful. I mean, he's Secretary of Education, and, you know, he's, he's done great things. Leon Chatwin. Finished two years of law school. The reason I put, thought about Leon was he, put, he finished two years of law school while he was still playing under Marilovich which was incredible. And he would fall asleep at the law school. I talked to people at law school and they said he would actually fall asleep at the tables and be there like all night. They were open all night and he'd just stay there and get up in the morning, go to meetings and go to practice, go to class, you know, it was unbelievable. He was, but he finished two years of law school while playing and then his third year was paid, played, paid for. He won one of the National Football Foundation scholar athlete um, scholarships. And it was paid for. So that's pretty incredible. Tim O'Toole. Tim O'Toole's another guy. Tim was quiet. I didn't do a lot with Tim. I stayed out of his way. He was so smart. But Tim was just a, just a really good guy and quiet and never so much. I'd ask a few questions about when he registered and stuff. And he's one of those guys you kind of, the reason I put, thought about him was, you know, it's, you kind of, they're under, he's kind of under the radar. But he, he ends up being the CEO of ChemMed. He just retired. They, they were the biggest hospice provider in the nation. And he's and he was CEO of that corporation, so he's pretty incredible, you know, talent. Valerie Steele. Valerie's finished her doctorate. I believe she's finished. I tried to touch base with her recently, try to find out where she is right now, but I'm not sure exactly. But she did her doctorate at Ohio State, finished her doctorate degree. Jim Kovach. Well, Kovach is a legend. He, Jim Kovach, finished his first year of medical school while playing football here, and went to practice like one day a week. That shows you how important practice is, Oscar. Went to practice one day a week and got drafted by the New Orleans Saints. And he still, to this day, is the linebacker of the decade of the 80s for the Saints. In 1976, when I started at Catspaws, I had a picture of him, his wife, and his baby on the front cover in 1976. And that's when he was in uh, med school. Yeah. Yeah, he ended up, you know what, he ended up uh, going to the – to the New Orleans Saints for like mm -hmm. six or seven years. And then he got waived. Mm -hmm. And he got picked up by the San Francisco 49ers, and he got cut, and I lost him. And so about four years later, he called me for some reason, and I said, Jim, what is going on? You, you know, we used to talk all the time. He didn't call me, and he said, I'm sorry. He said, I got kind of busy. He said, I was out here, and he said, you know, and I finished. He finished. He actually finished his medical school, finished mm -hmm. his residency, and he was an orthopedic surgeon. He had finished his, everything. Goes gets cut. Picked up by the San Francisco 49ers, gets cut by them. He says to me, he says, yeah, you know, I went to the 49ers and they waved me and I, or cut me. And I said, I knew that, but then I never heard from him. And he said, well, actually, I figured I was out here, so I went ahead and enrolled in Stanford Law School and got my law degree. 
How about that for <laughs> over the top? Sonny Collins. Sonny, you know, I didn't. I wasn't here when Sonny played. But Sonny was the one that called me up. He was 37 years old and called me up and said, I want to finish my degree. I'm embarrassed. I never got it. Is there any way I can come back and do it? He was our first one for the post eligibility. So I went to CM Newton and it was hilarious. I walked into CM and I said, CM, I said, I got a guy. <clears throat> He's 37 years old, but his wife works for Delta Airlines and she can be transferred to Lexington. But he said he can't go. He's got two kids, so he can't go back to school unless we can give him some kind of part-time job and, you know, let him work. And, and if we can give him a part-time minimum wage job, he said they can make ends meet and he can finish his degree. And CM said, well, and I hadn't said his name yet. And he said, well, what do you, do you play football here? I said, yeah. He said, well, okay. I said, well, yeah, he played. He was really good, CM. In fact, he, and I started to say, he said, well, I don't care how good he was. He said, if he played for us, he said, put him on full scholarship. Just put him on full scholarship. Bring him back. He said, don't we do that? And I said, no, we've never done that. And CM said, well, you know what? You go out and find those guys because we ought to be bringing those guys back. And for what they did for us, we should make sure they have their degrees. And then right after that's when we started the Kwood Ledford Scholarship Program, Post-Eligibility Scholarship mm -hmm. Program. And we've had over 100 kids go through that. Late Mike Phillips. Yeah, you know what? Mike and I had a uh, contentious relationship when he was here as a player. We kind of went back and forth and everything. Of course, he went pro and went to Spain and did all that stuff. And then he comes back and he calls me one day. You know, He's older now and he's out of basketball and everything. And he calls and says, is there any way I can get my degree? I don't know if they do anything or if there's anything I can do. And so I, back then they weren't very, they wouldn't help out much. University was tough on trying to finish things. They had no online and very few correspondence. And so he took a couple of correspondence courses. Then I told him to go to Madisonville Community College, and we gave him a bunch of courses he could take there. And then he took some courses online when they became available. And a few years ago, before he died, a few years before he died, he told me he wanted to finish his degree before his son did. And he, and he finished his degree and got his degree. And he brought me the nicest knife with a bone, with an antler handle. He used to make those as a hobby and brought it to me. I mean, but it was just, it's funny, you know, He's one of the guys I had one of those kind of not a good relationship. And then you end up, I mean, he thanked me so much for helping him get through it. You know, it's amazing. Kyle Macy. Oh, he's the perfect child. I put him on there because he's perfect. <laughs> Kyle used to come to our office. We can't let him listen to Kyle, this. Yet. Kyle used to come to my office all the time. He'd walk in and Daryl Saunders and I'd be in there and he'd say, so this is the office that doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> <laughs> We just laugh, but we did. He just doesn't realize. It's, the funniest thing, Oscar, is when I take an ex-athlete and hire him as a GA, hire him as one of our graduate assistants, like Keith Martin when I hired him and all those guys. I've hired a bunch of them over the years, and they always go, well, nobody did all this stuff for me. I can tell you that. And we'd say, oh, yeah, they did. <laughs> you just don't realize it. Paul Varga. You know, just great tennis player here, one of Dennis's kids and CEO of Brown Foreman. I mean, there's a heck of a success. And those Vargas were all like that. His, other, his brother's a doctor. His, you know, his, his brother's a doctor, and they both played tennis here, and they were, they were just great kids. Sam Bowie. I love Sam. I think Sam is, is just individually a great human being. And I don't think people realize. I have a buddy who um, goes to the track a lot, Red Mile. And, you know, Sam has a lot of trotters mm -hmm. and that. And he would go to the track, and he was telling me one day, and he sees Sam. They know each other because they have, I think, a room there at the Red Mile where the guys can go that – you know, own horses and stuff. And this buddy of mine goes there. And he told me one time, he says, Bob, do you realize how many people Sam takes care of financially that he helps that work in the stalls and everything that have nothing? And Sam takes care of them. He said, there's a bunch of them Sam's taking care of. And Sam Bowie's just a nice person. Keith Martin. Oh, he's a piece of work. No, you're wasting your time on that one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Keith, as I told you, he was in my wedding. I was in his, and he played football for us, and then he was a GA for me, and and I got his MBA degree. Overachiever. Everything he does is just total overachiever. He's, he's a fantastic person, and and uh, ended up marrying one of the trainers who's really the brains behind the operation. She makes Keith go. Pam, his wife, Pam. Ron Bojolan. Ended up third and. And uh, was a senior vice president of personnel for Olive Garden for North America. And a kid that came out of Western Pennsylvania had very little. 
um, this, you know, this is, this is one of those stories of what college athletics and what being in the right place can do to help you. Because I think we helped him. We helped him get his first job with Browning Manufacturing in Maysville. And then uh, Ron took over from there and, and just absolutely skyrocketed and ended up with Olive Garden and ended up, he was third or fourth or whatever in line in the company. So he retired wealthy. John Maddox. John's local. You know, John is a financial analyst here in town with ES Bar and, is, and was just a, John was a kid who, when he was, was playing for Fran, never blossomed. And I think, you know, I mean, he, I even heard stories where coaches told him, best thing he could do is get married, John, because he was dating his, his current wife forever in college. And they said, you should just get married and get out of football. And then Joe, Coach Claiborne came in and he ended up uh, offensive captain and starting. He was a great kid. Otis Grigsby. Uh, Otis, you know, Otis was a kid from San Antonio, Texas, came in here and, and played football, played in the NFL for several years, and is now an attorney up in Cincinnati and doing very well. Oliver White. Oliver I put on there because Oliver just finished his degree this last year, and there was a lot of publicity about it. But Oliver, I, I, Oliver came in to see me. His program didn't exist anymore at the university. And this is really tough. Can you imagine being 55 years old, 56 years old, and you walk in and he had to take 60 hours of credit to get another degree, a different degree, and he had to take foreign language. Now, you're 56 years old. Somebody says, you're going to have to take foreign language. He said, I'm in those classes. <laughs> I'm in those Spanish 101 class. Everybody in there has had at least Spanish 101, probably 101 and 102. And he said, and the teacher's speaking Spanish. And he said, <laughs> I'm sitting there going, okay, this is going to be a long semester. But he made it through it, and he graduated this last year. But that was – I was proud. Oliver, I'm, I'm so proud of him. The, the tenacity to come back at that time and do that, there aren't many of us that could do it. Mark Pope. Unbelievable. Should have been a Rhodes Scholar. We missed on that. He um, – and you know what? I'm probably wrong on this, and I, I probably have no right to say it, but Mark, Mark's one of the smartest guys. You know, they used to have that thing in the Sunday paper – Remember, they'd pick a celebrity in town. They'd say, what are you reading now, Mr. Mayor? What are you reading now, you know, Councilman so-and-so? Well, they had there one Sunday. They had, what are you reading now, Mark Pope? And he was a 387 in English literature. And he said, well, actually, I'm rereading Milton's Paradise Lost. I'm really enthralled with his use of pantamic. <laughs> and, uh, there's people getting dictionaries right now going... That's just pantamic crap this guy's talking about. <laughs> he was so smart, and he actually interviewed for the Rhodes Scholar. And they asked him, will you forego the NBA if you get the Rhodes Scholarship? And he said, I can't say that. I've had a dream of going to the NBA, and I really can't say I wouldn't. I just can't tell you that. Well, anyway, they called him back. They would never do this, I don't think, unless you had it. They called him back and said, we have one question. Would you forego the NBA if you get the Rhodes Scholarship? And he said, I can't tell you I would. Wow. And I really think if he had said that, Mark Pope would have been a Rhodes Scholar. Hmm. And you know, what he, you know where he played his first year? Turkey. He could have played in England. <laughs> you know, that, uh, that's when I screwed up there. I got to ask you about a couple people here, too. Uh, Tom Kalinowski. There's a, there's a piece of work. He's something else. See, when I came, Tom was a student manager to Buckshot Underwood. And you can speak to Buckshot, too. Oh, uh, Buckshot came to my office one day. I shouldn't tell this story, but it's years ago. But Buckshot came to my office one day in Cats, and I had like three AGAs and myself and Miss Sampson, and he said, how many people you got working in here? And I said, five. And he goes, five? Well, back when Bear Bryant was here, I did academics and did it all by myself. He said, now... I had to run around and bend some arms and break some arms to get people through, but I used to do it. I got everybody through doing it, and I just laughed, and I said, Buckshot. And he goes, he told me some stories I can't even go into about when he was doing academics with Bear, but Buckshot was a, he was a rough-and-tumble guy and a great coach and a good person. And Tom, Tom's just, he got his training under Buckshot, and Tom's, you know, Tom's a combination of he can be very tough when he has to be, but he's also very caring of those guys and takes care of those guys. The late Bill Kiley. Oh, well, I, you know what? 
I miss Saratoga. Robin and I would go at breakfast with Bill. Now, explain what Saratoga is to our friends. Saratoga restaurant that they used to be down there. You mean Chevy Chase. CCI and Chevy Chase and all that, and they took it out. And it was a great old place, and, you know, Bill would go there on on Saturdays and have whenever he could and have breakfast. And it was, he was, Bill Kiteley, I I don't know how, Bill Kiteley's a miracle. He just went 24-7. I don't know how he did it. But he was a, Bill Kiteley was a friend to everybody. And you know what? He took care of those managers. I mean. They were like sons to him. Oh, I mean, one of them Wayne Breeden is a really good friend of mine. And, you know, Wayne loves Bill Kiteley. I mean, you know, they, I mean, they love Bill. Bill was a, he's he's a great human being. If you had your career to live over, is there anything you would do differently? Well, you know, I had an opportunity to be an AD a couple times and, was offered a chance to interview for AD jobs. And I, you know, and my wife didn't want to leave Lexington and that was fine, but it, it turned out, and she was right. We love it here. We love this place. And I, and actually, I don't think I probably would have been very good at it. <laughs> I'd have got a contract and I could have maybe got five years, got fired and got some money to go. But, you know, I, um, I thought about that a lot, whether I would have wanted to try to do that. But I, I think I've had a pretty good run with what I've done. Outside your family, who's been the most influential person in your life? Well, my sister was number one. She raised me pretty much. And, you know, my parents really didn't understand any of this stuff like college or anything like that. You know, most of us went through that. At our age, we went through those years. Our parents didn't go to college, and a lot of them didn't even finish high school or whatever. They didn't know any of this stuff. But she pretty much guided me my whole life. That and that, and I, and I, would, I would honestly say her and Jerry Claiborne. He changed my life. I mean, he made me believe that you can do things with kids that I never would have thought could have been done just because what he demanded. You you just retired here in the last six weeks or so, and they had a retirement party for you. What did it mean to have so many former athletes show up? I was blown away. My wife, they tried to keep it a secret. And, you know, things kept popping up, and I kept saying, what is going on with this thing? And then... Finally, she said, well, we're having a little get-together for you at the K-House. And, that. and I said, okay. And, and I said, you know, I don't really, I told you I didn't want any retirement parties. But I just didn't want any. And she said, well, people want to do it. She said, so you're doing it. And she told me, quote, unquote, shut up and just enjoy it. <laughs> and I said, okay. So the Friday night, it was on Saturday, the Friday night before, all of a sudden guys start showing up at my house from like Dallas, out California, you know, another guy from one from Dallas, another place in Texas, Orlando. And I started saying, what is going on? I said, Robin, what is going on? She said, it's going to be a party. And she said, these are guys that like you and love you and wanted to come back and see you. And I said, okay, you know, and then we got to the K house. She said, you got to be there at four o'clock. We got there. There's nobody there. And I said, well, this is about what I expected. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this fits right in. And then, uh, you know, by the end of the day, somebody said there were close to 400 there and, and probably 30 or 40 ex-athletes. I was blown away. I mean, I was, you could have you could have just not, you know, you could knock me over with a feather. I was like, this is, I couldn't believe it. When I had to speak, I couldn't even think of words. You know what I mean? It was just like, I just looked out there and everybody was there and I thought, oh my God. I mean, there were people from my hometown, New York. There were people from, you know, I mean, ex-players, a lot of the athletic people. It was, it was pretty incredible it was a great feeling it was you know it's almost surreal you know what i'm saying it's not like you even you feel good but you don't know if it's beyond that it's almost surreal you're a very young something so what does the future hold oh i'm right now i'm just having a blast i'm taking off my wife and i went on an rv trip and uh we rented an rv and took off went to montana and colorado we have family in both those places and and went out and visited and hung out and and uh, we really we had a, she she was leery about it she was like oh why do you, you know this RV and you're making these arrangements to stop at all these RV parks because if you don't you can't get in them a lot of times so I set it all up ahead of time and and um, it turned out being fit she loved it the next week after we got back she sends me she works two days a week she's a nurse at the med center she sent me a text said how about if we buy this one <laughs> I'm like. 
dang, <laughs> three weeks ago, you didn't want to do this at all. Now you want to buy one. So, I mean, so we're thinking about buying one now. It was, it was a great experience. And then I went up to New York to a buddy of mine's from college and stayed at his lake house for a while. And then we went to a Yankee game, went over to New York to Yankees and saw the Yankees and came back. And then I hooked up with a bunch of my old college buddies and, uh, you know, met those guys at a reunion and hung out with those guys. And then we came back and we were going to go to Hilton Head, Florence hit. So we didn't go down there. We're going to go down next in February down to Hilton Head. So I'm, right now I'm just enjoying it. I mean, I've, I've thought about going back and doing something either outside of athletics, though, maybe an advising, helping out in one of the units and advising or something if they need it, because I can do that. I'm good at advising. <laughs> I can help kids. And um, I thought about doing that part time just a few hours, but I don't know. Right now, I'm just, in, I'm loving what I'm doing, and I'm not doing that before 10 o'clock in the morning. How do you want to be remembered? You know, I've got an, I don't know. I've got enough to remember. I mean, that, that retirement party, that makes you know you're remembered. I mean, those guys, we took a picture with all the players. It, it was unbelievable. I mean, I look at it and I go, there are so many people there, so many guys. And, and some gals that came back that it just, you know, that I just, if I'm remembered for anything, that I try to do the right things. You know, that I try to do it right with the kids. Many thanks to Bob Bradley for taking the time to be a part of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Throughout this episode, you heard the names of some Wildcat legends that was a part of Bob Bradley's life and career at Kentucky. Some of those were featured in past episodes of Conversations, including Coach Joby Hall, Sam Bowie, Kyle Macy, Marty Moore, and Sonny Collins. You can take a listen to those episodes and many more at oscarcombs.com. For your mobile devices, you can subscribe to Conversations through iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Search for Wildcat News and subscribe. On Twitter, follow the big O at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.